Here we go. This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can have what it says I can have. Today, I'm ready to receive the incorruptible, ever-living seed of the Word of God. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in this place. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in my life. I'll never be the same again. Come on. Never, never, never. In Jesus' name, amen. Best shout ever. I want to ask you a question before we open the word. We are in a series called History Come Home. And it is looking at the historical stories of Jesus in relationship to the reality of the resurrected Jesus in our life. I'll say it one more time. We're looking at the difference between the historical stories of Jesus in the Bible versus the reality of the resurrected Jesus in my personal life. And we've taken up the challenge to go through the book of Acts, at least till we feel like we've ran it to where we need to run to. And we're kind of stuck in Acts 1. Acts 1 verse 8 says this, But you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. I want you to look at that third line, and you will be my witnesses. It was not Jesus giving us an option, it was a commandment. Once the Holy Spirit touches you, you're to be a witness. And I keep getting hung up on this verse, because to me it's silly to try to move on through Acts when we're not being good witnesses. And I'm not picking on you personally. I mean, I'm, I'm including myself with us all. So let me maybe clarify that statement. It's silly to try to make the book of Christ, a re, uh, the book of Acts a reality when the resurrection of Christ is not a reality in my own heart. In other words, it's not affecting or impacting my personal life, my marital life, my relational life, my spiritual or emotional or financial life. It is just the historical Jesus. It's not the resurrected Jesus. And so I've really been, you know, trying to move us through Acts, but just so you kind of know where we're headed, we're going to continue to kind of look at this issue of our personal walk with Christ. And then in the month of August, we're going to talk about the power of discipleship and community. And then beginning in September, we're going to launch Bible reading groups, as you just heard Justin read. And we're going to be really going through the book of Acts systematically. But it's silly to go through systematically when we struggle being a witness and struggle being discipled. I want to ask you this question today. Are you winning the war? I'll let that just kind of sink in a minute. Based on Galatians 5 that Justin just read, it was very clear that there's a war going on in every one of us. It is a war that fights my own desires versus the desires of my Heavenly Father. The war that fights the kind of marriage God wants me to have versus what the reality of that marriage is. The war of my personal behavior, actions, words, and thoughts that are contrary to what the Lord wants but fit very well to what I want for myself. And I love what it said. It says, these things war within you so you can't even do what you intended to do. Is that talk to anybody other than me? Have you ever found yourself in love with Jesus but you keep falling into the same behavior and go, why can't I just get this thing right? 
It's that same repetitive behavior. I just can't do what I really want to do. I want to help you out with that. Coming to church will not fix that. Coming to an altar and having our prayer team pray for you won't fix it either. There's many people that come to the altar week in and week out, but they get no better. In the moment, it feels good. It's like a B12 shot. You kind of go out the door feeling good, but by Monday, the B12 wears off. But I will tell you the answer to behavior problems, the answer to not living what you woke up intending to live. The answer is the Holy Spirit. He is God and He is alive and He works. The Holy Spirit is just as much God as Jesus is God and He's just as much God as the Father is God because they together comprise the work of God. And to act like we can just go through life only talking about a father and only talking about a son but leave the third person of that Godhead out and when we say the third person it even intimates that he himself is inferior to all the others but he is not. He is God in power. He is God that infuses and indwells your life. He is God that leads you to truth. He is God that leads you to conviction. He's God that leads you to the Son who leads you to the love adopting relationship with the Father. And it's impossible. Let me just say it again. I've tried. Just trust this. I've tried to overcome sinful behavior in my own power. I have made bargains with God and lost them all. God, if you will forgive me, I swear I won't do it again. And he knows by Tuesday you've already got plans that you don't even know of of doing it again. (laughs) Anybody been there other than me? Okay, I just want to make sure I'm in the right house. But that doesn't give me a right to just go, well, it is what it is, Mark. No, it's not is what it is. It is what it is because you're not allowing the Spirit to be greater in you than yourself. Because the answer is the Holy Spirit. I want this to sink into you. The Old Testament, the answer was the law. The Gospels, the answer was the cross. Acts all the way through till he returns, the answer is the Spirit of God. He works in ways that will bring you into freedom. There is zero freedom apart from the Holy Spirit. And he wants to be greater in your life. I want you to look at John chapter 3, verse 30. John chapter 3 and verse 30. I was on my way to Mexico in 1991. I was going to be a missionary. It was the plan of my life to be a missionary. And I was going to live there the rest of my life. I flew Robin down to check out the city we were going to live in. It was called Tres Palos, Mexico, on the backside of Acapulco. I wanted to keep uh, America close, right? I wanted to have a good city while I was doing mission work. We planted a church there. We started a church in Tres Palos and planted a pastor there before we ever had children. But on my way flying over in seat 17D on Delta Airlines, John 30, if you'll put it on the screen, I want you to look at it with me. I read this verse and I immediately started tearing up and crying because this is what it said. He, Jesus, must become greater. It still still touches me. He must become greater and greater and I must become less and less. I'll never forget sitting in seat 17D 
And I, my eyes welled up with tears. I was a young kid in my 20s. And I read that and I thought, my God, I'm not even close to that. Jesus being greater than me. I was all about me. I was all about my life, my vision, my purposes, my future, my marriage, my, my agendas. And riding on that plane. And I never knew, 30 years later, I would flunk that test over and over and over. I didn't know flying it was going to be a test. I thought it was a scripture verse. But I realized it wasn't a scripture verse. I realized that is the war. The war is he must become greater and greater. And I must become less and less. I didn't know it was the war. I thought it was a great prophetic word. I didn't know it was going to be like a bomb dropped off in my future that this was going to be the war that Justin just read about in Galatians 5. That war that says, is he really greater or are you greater? Whose opinions matter more? Whose feelings matter more? Whose truth matters more? And I'm just preaching to myself, not even preaching to you. I'm just letting you hear me real quick. I have battled with this in my marriage. I have battled with it in my personal life. I've battled with it in lust. I have battled with it in my own feelings. I have been angry at God at times because he didn't answer my prayers my way in my time. I've been upset with him. And oh, if I would have only known in my 20s what I have learned now is that the only way he is greater is I must press into the Holy Spirit. I cannot make God greater in my own power. I will fail every single time. Every time I tell God, you're going to be greater today, I'm entering the warfare. And your flesh will show up before 8.05 a.m. and go, let's get ready to fight. You ready? And I will tell you this, based on what I have experienced, the flesh is strong. We feed it every day. We pamper it every day. We bandage it every day. And we just make it our best friend. And so when the fight comes, most of us lose. Not because the devil's so big, but because we're feeding the wrong thing. We are feeding ourselves. We're feeding our flesh. We're feeding our emotions. We do it through music. We do it through television. We do it through lustful thinking. We do it through social media. Day in and day out, just a constant feeding. I'm not saying it sends you to hell. I'm not saying God's disappointed that you're feeding yourself music or you're enjoying the gaming world or any of that. But I am saying you will probably and percentage-wise lose the battle on a consistent basis over and over and over and over when you yourself are spending the majority of your life becoming greater and, and he's becoming less. Not that you would say that because I don't think any Christian would ever say I'm trying to make Jesus less. <laughs> I think we're smarter than that. But just by the way we live. I want you to turn to 1 John 4, 4 because in the next few minutes, about the next 15 to 20 minutes, it's not really a sermon. It's just what I've learned trying to make Jesus greater in my own personal life. And I want to give you four areas that he must become greater if you're going to win the war. And I'm sharing them with you because I've been in the battle. <clears throat> I've been watching. Robin's been laughing. She said, I think you're getting older. I said, why? She said, because every time I come home, you're watching the History Channel. 
<laughs> yeah, okay, okay, bless my heart. But I have watched World War One. I, I have watched World War Two, and I have watched Vietnam, and I have watched the Korean War. I just love it all, right? But I have noticed this. That every time, these are real stories, every time in like a war, the Vietnam War, when they trek in new people, the newbies, the guys that are green, that are just coming from boot camp into the war, man, they kind of have this fresh trepidation. Their, their uniforms are clean, their weapons are clean, and they kind of have this scared look like, I don't know, and then they always cut to a thing of a truck of dead people riding by battered, beat up, bruised, and you can in almost every one, they always show the face of the new soldier kind of like, welcome to hell. I think that is a great sign of Christianity. Welcome to Jesus. Come on in and look at this new soul. And then all of a sudden, a truckload of dead bodies come by. Oh my God, what's that? Oh, those are all the people that lost the war you're about to enter. Because it is a war. It will, it will affect your marriage, your health, your money, your children, your grandchildren. And the enemy is working overtime. 1 John 4, 4. But you belong to God. My dear children, you've already won a victory over those people. Because the spirit who lives in you is greater woo, than the spirit that's in the world. I wish I would have got that revelation at 17D on Delta Airlines. I got the revelation. I must become greater. He must become greater. And I must become less. And now I read the only way is because the spirit in me has to become greater. The spirit in me has to become greater. I must cultivate a relationship with the Holy Spirit. He can be grieved. He can be hurt. He can be disappointed. He goes with me. I belong to God. I've already won a victory. Well, if I've already won a victory, if the victory is mine, then why so many dead bodies coming back on the truck? If the victory is mine, why is the warfare so hot out there still? Because the victory is yours based on how well you walk in relationship to the Holy Spirit because he's constantly leading you back to the truth of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is constantly leading you to become less of yourself and more of God. I can almost tell without fail who really is passionate for Jesus. It's not the people who clap the most, sing the most, and give the most money. It is the people who know how to overcome war. And they don't give up and fall apart and pout and whine. They understand the only way to do war is he must be greater. I want to take these minutes now and tell you the four areas God has to become greater if you're going to win the war. I've walked through them, I've been through them, and I'm just going ahead and tell you, out there in the battlefield, this is not the battlefield today, out there in the battlefield, the young 20-year-old Mark that was trying to make Jesus greater, I did not know that I was going to have to face the things I faced. I was not planning on being a failure. I was not planning on struggling with anxiety and fear for nearly 20 years. I was not planning on having financial problems and marital problems. I wasn't planning on any of that. And I went an up and down battle in that. And now I've learned at 54, if I will learn to let the Spirit of God in me be greater than the world, the likelihood of my success has astronomically gone to the top. 
If I'll say it again. If I can let the Spirit of God in me be greater than the Spirit that is in the world, my percentage of success as a Christian of not coming back a casualty but coming back a victor has just astronomically went to the top. All right? The first one, he must become greater in your expectations. So many people are going into battle expecting to die. They're expecting to get hurt. They're expecting life to throw them a curve. If you've ever said it like this, well, life's just a hellhole. I've been pressing into God. Now the devil's turning the heat up more. I mean big higher levels, bigger devils. You're just expecting to fall apart. Gloom, despair, agony on me. If it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. When it rains, it pours. If you've ever said anything like that, then the Holy Spirit is not greater in your expectations. I woke up expecting hell this week. I woke up expecting something bad to happen. I mean, Pastor Mark, I've had two good weeks. I know it's just a matter of time before something bad happens. It always does. Well, if those are your thoughts, then your expectations are that you're going to come back a casualty rather than a victor. And I have lived this my whole life. My expectations that I wonder if it'll work out. I wonder if I'll overcome. When I was flunking college, I wonder if God really will help me like he did Daniel. And it took me 20 plus years to change expectations of bad into expectations of good. I had to work through it. I had to begin to expect that God would do for me. What does Romans 8 say? Romans 8 says that God will work all things together for my good to those of us who are called according to His purposes. I read it for years, but it took me a long time to let it become my testimony. Now when I wake up, mm, I expect God to work. I expect God to move. I expect God to provide. I expect God to heal. I expect God to protect me. I don't wake up anymore like I used to. I hope I have a good day. I hope things go well for me. I sure hope I don't get the flu. I sure hope I don't get sick. Man, I hope I don't get fired. Man, I hope I can afford to pay my bills. No, if you wake up with I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope, you have never had the Holy Spirit touch your expectations for when the Holy Spirit touches your expectations all things work together for my good I don't care if the whole world gets the flu. Himself took my infirmities and bore my sicknesses and by his stripes I am healed. I don't care if everybody on the planet gets fired. My God will meet all of the needs that I have according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. I don't care what the statistics are for failed marriages. I thank you that my family is going to live the blessings of the Lord which maketh rich and add no sorrow. Oh, I had to learn to walk through that garbage. Because when I got out in the bombs dropping, I realized, man, I'm, a lot of people out here love Jesus but are just expecting to be a casualty. Just waiting on hell to drop. Waiting on the hammer to drop. Ephesians 3.20. Look at that. It'll come on the screen. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. It states this. That God himself will do immeasurably more than you could ever think 
or you could ever imagine. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work where? In heaven? No, at work within us. will accomplish infinitely more than we ask or think. Hallelujah! Let that soak in a minute. Now all glory to God who is able. I don't know what hell the world's going to throw at me today, but my God is able. He is able to deliver me, able to heal me, able to fix a broken marriage, able to give me hope in my job, able to give me wisdom, able to restore my broken failures, able to bring my children back to his presence. He is able. Well, the doctor said this. He's able. Well, the job said this. He is able. That's what I got to do. I got to stir it. That's not Pentecostalism. That's somebody that's been filled with the Holy Spirit that expects more out of God than the spirit of the world. I expect more from my Father than I do from the hell of the world. And most casualties coming back from war have expected more from the devil than the Father. Read Job. Even the devil thinks more about God than most people. God said, have you considered Job? He said, well, I did, but you've hedged him about. You've protected him. The devil himself has greater expectations of God than most Christians. My expectations, he will accomplish infinitely more. Come on, somebody, infinitely more. Stop waking up with a depressed Miserable, poor, pitiful me. My life is going down the drain. You have the Spirit of God in you. And He is well able in the middle of this God-forsaken hell we live in. He is well able to preserve you and keep you and watch over you and provide for you. But Mark, I saw 42 dead bodies come by last week. Well, you can come back with one of them. Or you can stir yourself up. I'll tell this story. We needed $20,000 by Monday in the church when we were building it. And I was a week away from a 20 grand bill coming due. I said, Dad, I don't know what I'm going to do. He said, well, son, God will provide. I went to lunch with somebody on Wednesday. They said, would you like to go to lunch? And I said, sure, I'll go to lunch with you. I sat down at lunch with them, and in our conversation, they said, what, are you, what is a prayer request you need? So I thought, well, they're asking a prayer request. I'll tell them. My prayer is I need 20 grand by Monday. It's not going to look pretty. I'm in the foxhole. Bombs are shooting over my head. I'm four days away from getting blown up. And he said out of his mouth, well, I, I, I want to go ahead and give you 10,000. Glory to God. That's the best Mexican meal I ever ate. <laughs> Usually I'm the one paying, but I guess God decided to return it that day. And I was just like, oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. It's like being in the foxhole and a bullet goes right by your head. And you're like, whew. Anybody ever watch Saving Private Ryan? It's a real godly movie. (laughs) 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 Oh, help me, Jesus. I watch it every year. (laughs) Okay, I'm sorry. Um, I'm not really. But in that, if you, if you decide to watch it, call me. I'll come over with you and pray. We'll take communion before and then. But I don't know if you remember when he's on the beach, a guy's behind a bunker when they're shooting on the beach, and all of a sudden a bullet goes, boom, and hits him in the helmet. 
And he kind of goes, wow. That's a boom and hits him in the head after he takes his helmet off. When I got that $10,000, it was like the devil went, boom. And I was like, ha, 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 And then I took my helmet off. And within five seconds of getting the 10000 I heard the lie come back. You still need 10 more. <laughs> I didn't even get to enjoy my 10. I wanted to order a margarita. I was like, Lord, I need 10 more. You ever felt like that that's how bad the devil's coming against you, that you can't even enjoy a victory because he's got the next bullet coming? I mean, you're even scared to enjoy the next victory because you know another bullet's coming. So I came home and said, well, Dad, guess what? Somebody blessed the church with $10,000. He said, well, praise God. I said, we only got three days left. We need 10 more. Sunday came. It was looking rough. I need $10,000 by Sunday. I'm laying in bed that morning, and the Lord said to me, uh, I, Robin said, I, I call her Lord a lot. And <laughs> Robin said to me, well, where are you going to church today? I said, I'm not. I'm going to stay home. She said, well, good, you deserve it. This is when we had Saturday church. And I was laying there, and the Lord said, get up. I'm going to speak to you today. I want you to go to my house. I started getting ready, and she said, where are you going? I said, well, I feel like the Lord told me to get up and go to church. She said, where? I said, I don't know. He just told me to go to his house. I'll pray on the way. I got dressed and started praying. I felt the Lord say, go to Chapel Hill. I called my friend Matt and said, hey, I'm coming to Chapel Hill. He said, well, sit on the front row. I said, I don't want to sit on the front row. I'm a, I'm a back row person. Come on, back row people. All you back row. Look at him back there waving. I knew I was holy. <laughs> you know. <laughs> I am you. I sit on the back row unless I'm in my own church and I fake it and sit on the front row. But I am a back row dude. And so I wanted to sit on the back. He said, no, come sit on the front row. And so I made my way on the front row. And on the front row, the Lord said, be ready. I'm going to speak to you today. I was waiting on Pastor Dave to bring the message, but they had a guest speaker. And I was kind of disappointed. I was like, ah, okay. Well, during the guest speaker speaking, I felt the Lord say, be ready. I'm going to talk to you today. I was like, I'm ready. I mean, I got up and got dressed. The gentleman finished his message. Pastor Dave at Chapel Hill, he's the lead pastor. He got back up on stage, and he was in in the service, and I thought, well, I guess I missed it. And then Pastor Dave stopped and saw me sitting on the front row. He said, well, there's Mark from Believer's Church. And then just out of the blue, some of you have heard this story. He said, Mark, the Lord spoke to me to give you $5,000. I became a member of Chapel Hill. <laughs> I have, I have joined their church, and I'm a surrogate child. I, <laughs> oh, I felt, I just was overwhelmed. Like, I just sobbed, snot cried on the front row. I could have laid in bed pouting that I needed 10, but I decided to go back into the war. I could have sat over here nursing my wound, but I decided as dead bodies are going by to walk back out and expect God to work. And I got myself out of bed and I expected God to work. I didn't know what that meant, but he provided. I called dad and said, you'll never guess what happened. What? I said, Pastor Dave in Chapel Hill sold $5,000 to our church. Come on, clap for him. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And then he said, well, I got good news for you. I said, what? He said, a lady from Florida who doesn't even go to Believer's Church just sent us $5,000 in the mail. Bless God Almighty. <laughs> Expectation! I don't know how I'm going to get it, 
but God, you're going to get it to me. Expectation. I'm not going to lay in bed with my German shepherd pouting. I'm going to expect God to work. I'm going to expect him to meet my needs. This is how i got to live. Number two, I've got to have greater expectations of God in my thought life. Philippians chapter 4 states this, Think on the things that are pure and lovely and right. God has to become greater in your thought life. I often wonder how many Christians are living beneath God being greater in their emotions. Because anger gets the best of you. Fear gets the best of you. Pain and hurt gets the best of you. Bitterness gets the best of you. I'll just go ahead and help you. You'll be a Christian about four days before somebody hurts your feelings. You, I'll give you maybe four days. That might be stretching it. But about the time you meet Jesus, the devil will make sure somebody in your foxhole shoots a bullet at you. Because he will want to be greater. The devil wants you to be greater than God in your emotions. And many Christians are losing the battle because their anger, their fear, their jealousy, their bitterness, their hurt, their past, and all of those little emotional things, jealousies, pouting, all of the things that we carry around emotionally and just ask you to get over it. God said, honey, if you don't deal with it, you're going to come back a casualty in the spiritual warfare. You're going to reap of your flesh rather than reap of the spirit. And I think my wife, Robin, could attest very well, hopefully. I don't think I'm there yet. I'm not perfected yet. But hopefully in 30 year, 29 years of being married, I have done my best to let God be greater in my emotions. Because I was a professional pouter. I, I, my emotions. Oh, I loved God, but my emotions would get the best of me. Philippians chapter 4 says you must take those thoughts. And those thoughts of where he's trying to become greater. You must fix your thoughts. Look at that. Verse 8. Fix your thoughts on what is true. But what if I don't make it? That's not true. You will make it. Well, what if I die? Hang in there. With long life will he satisfy you. But I just saw 42 other people come by dead. Okay, but hold your thoughts to heaven. I'm not asking you to ignore that people die. I'm not asking you to ignore sickness. I'm not asking you to ignore hell. I'm just asking you to have expectations that you aren't going to be a casualty. And that you can overcome. And that God will provide for you. But what about those 900 other people? I don't know. I wasn't in battle with them. I can't answer for why they came back in a truck. But I know for me, if I just walk this thing out and expect the Holy Spirit to work. Oh, and then the thought life. Oh, you can't trust God. You can't trust his word. He won't heal you. You don't deserve it. You didn't earn it. He can't make it. He's disappointed in you. You're a loser. You're a failure. You're fat. You're overweight. You'll never make it through college. You don't have enough money. You don't know what to do. There's no hope for your marriage. Your children will never serve the Lord. Your prayers don't work. Keep giving and watch. You'll go broke just over and over and over and over and over. You must fix your thoughts. He has to be greater in your thought life. Number three, he has to be greater in your home. It is very difficult to win the war when your own house is a battlefield. The house should be the place where I find rest. 
In many Christian marriages and homes, it's, it's worse than the battlefield. Daddy's hollering, mama's hollering, threatening divorce. They don't pray together. They don't read the Bible together. The kids are rebellious. The parents are at wit's end, pulling their hair out. And then we wonder, why are we losing the battle? Well, I, I'm not putting anybody down. I mean, we, I think Robin and I have had our fair share of raising kids. It's not like the rosiest thing in the world. But I will say this, if you go into your home expecting to be defeated, well, I just expect my kids are going to rebel. I just expect they'll go the way of the devil a little while. No! No and no and no! I'm not turning my children over to the devil to have his way. We don't live that way here. We don't talk that way here. And not because I'm trying to appeal to everybody else to think we're a great family. I don't know what they think about us. But in this home, we put God first. They may think we're off our rocker. But God is going to be great in our home. And your father's not going to fake it. In other words, I'm not going to come and preach to people and then come home and cuss you out. I'm not going to come home and talk about having a wonderful marriage and then treat your mother like, a, like, a, like you know, just a jerk. It's going to be greater in my home. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Turn there. Deuteronomy chapter 6. I just want you to see it with your eyeballs. And I want to inspire you to how God can be greater. Verse 1. These are the commands, decrees, and regulations that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you. You must obey them in the land you're about to enter. Keep going. And you and your children... And your grandchildren must fear the Lord your God as long as you live. If you obey all his decrees and commands, you will enjoy a long life. Verse 3. Listen closely, Israel, and be careful to obey. Then all will go well with you. And you will have many children in the land flowing with milk and honey. Just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Verse 4 and 5 is about to get good. Listen, O Israel. The Lord is our God. The Lord alone. And you must love the Lord God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your strength. Verse 6, again, and he's got to be greater. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Verse 7 and 8, repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road and when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Period. Go back to verse 7. Look at this. This is the model of a home. Repeat it again and again to your children. Talk about it when you're at home. Talk about it on vacation. Talk about it when you go to bed. Talk about it when you get up. Honey, if all you're doing is your home is simply saying a prayer over the lucky charms, no wonder your family is probably losing the battle. If daddy's not sitting down with the boys and the girls and teaching them the word, if God is not a reality in mom's life, if there is no life of God happening in your home, oh, I don't care if you've come out of hell. You might have gone through the worst divorce in the world. I understand it is painful, but there is no reason, mom, there's no reason, dad, that you can't just say, children, gather around. We're going to keep pressing into the Lord. We're going to keep studying on the Lord. We're going to put our hope in the Lord. I don't know what daddy did, but I know what God will do. I know, I don't know 
what's going to happen with him, but let me tell you what's going to happen with us. God will always make a way when there is no way. So this week, I want to ask you parents, I want to ask you parents, will you go an extra mile with your kids this week? Will you sit down with them every day and rehearse your own story? Why do you love Jesus? Why did you choose Jesus? Why did you make him Lord of your life? Will you read the Bible to them beyond just a bedtime story? Will you talk about God in your home? This is is what has to happen. I love what Curvin said. He's sitting here on the second row, a friend from Haiti. I love what he said to me the other day. He said, growing up, My dad, every morning at breakfast, would sit down and say, here's the Bible, you're going to read it today before you go to school. Oh, and if you don't read it, you don't get food and you don't get money to go to school. You'll just go anyway. That sounds like abuse. Well, maybe so in America, but in Haiti, his dad said, well, I don't care. My son's going to read it every day. And he said last night, thank God, my dad made me read the Bible every single day as a little kid. And he said he gave me the option not to read it. I just had to go hungry if I didn't read it. I said, that's a smart daddy. And now here he is in his 20s. And every day he's here going to school. His parents, he said, every day his mom and dad send him a voicemail with a blessing and a prayer. Even in his 20s. Thank God for parents that go the extra mile and don't give up. And the last one is this. God must become greater in your heart. I'm going to ask the praise team to come back up if they will because I want to end giving you a chance to do that. I want to end giving you a moment to make God greater in all of these areas, in your expectations, in your emotions, in your home, and now in your heart. Philippians chapter 3, if you'll turn there with me if you will. This is going to be our Bible reading for the week. I would like you to just listen as I read Philippians 3. At the end of my reading, I'm going to ask Michael to sing a chorus. And the chorus goes like this. I just want you and nothing else. Nothing else. Nothing else. I just want you. And if that's you and you realize there's an area of your life emotionally, expectationally, your home, your family, where God has taken a lower seat than you. I want you to just come to the altar and we're going to end as an act of repentance. An act of, I don't want to live that way anymore, God. Maybe you're like me in seat 17D and it's not a reality, it's just a scripture. But I want it to be reality in my home. I'm going to read Philippians chapter 3, 21 verses long and I encourage you to study it this week in our Bible reading. Listen carefully with your ears and hear it from a perspective of a man who fell in love with Jesus more than anything else. Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things. I do it to safeguard your faith. Watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who truly are circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort, though I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. 
I was a member of the Pharisees who demanded the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. As for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I've discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection. But I press on to that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. Now, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it. But I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. Let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. If you disagree at some point, I believe God will make it plain to you. But we must hold on to the progress we've already made. Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. For I've told you often, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct shows they're really enemies of the cross of Christ. They're headed for destruction. There's that war. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things, and they think only about this life here on earth. But we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. He will take our weak and mortal bodies and change them into his glorious body like his own using the same power within which he will bring everything under his control. Would you stand with me if you will and bow your heads? As you read that this week, I pray that God will bring back, is he greater in your expectations? Is he greater in your emotions? Is he greater in your home? And is he greater in your heart? Is he greater? Have you counted everything else as a lost just so you can know him? Have you taken a back seat to him? Are you letting him lead you? So Father, now as we sing this song, I pray you touch our heart. And if this sermon has touched you in a way that you say, that's me, Mark, I want to I repent and say this week I'm going to start making God greater. As Michael sings this chorus, come down the front and let's make a decision. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us on the Believer's Church podcast. If you would like more information about Believer's Church, you can visit mybelieverschurch.com. If there's anything that you need prayer for, please email us at amen at mybelieverschurch.com. Thanks again for listening, and we will see you next week for a brand new message. 